Welcome back to another episode of Heaven and Healing Podcast. You can catch a live recording of the show over on YouTube where I stream every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Central Time. Go subscribe to my channel if you haven't already. It's Angela Ucci, Heaven and Healing Podcast, and be sure to ring the bell to be notified for live stream reminders and more. Whatever platform you're currently listening on, please give the show a five-star rating and written review to help get this into more people's ears. And please consider partnering with the ministry as Heaven and Healing is entirely crowdfunded. There are different options to support the show down in the episode description. Thank you so much for your continued support and prayers. Enjoy the episode and God bless. I'm really excited about this topic. This is my spiritual warfare series. So this is going to extend throughout the next five weeks, including tonight. So four weeks after tonight. Yeah. Um, do me a favor. If you haven't already, please share this on Instagram. If you were able to, like if you're watching on your computer or your TV and you're able to share it to Instagram, that would be awesome. Like the video if you haven't already to help with the algorithm. And yeah, stay engaged in the chat. Have some fun. Um, but also listen, you know, with, with this, with this particular topic, I want us to be quick to listen and slow to speak like scripture says. Um, like I said already, this is spiritual warfare for Christian series. Um, remember to hang out in the end, we will close in prayer and of course, hang out in the live chat. So why I'm doing this series uh, spiritual warfare is an inevitable part of the Christian life, as if you're watching in the chat and you're a Christian, you know that. Um, and the Bible is clear, you know, we are in a war, right? We are in a battleground and we fight not against flesh and blood. So just because it's not something we can always see with our physical eyes, does not mean that it's not manifesting all around us. And I think a lot of people in the church tend to kind of underestimate the reality of spiritual warfare, but it is very much, very much a reality that the Bible makes clear to us. You know, you wouldn't be told to put on your armor and withstand if there was not a battle happening at all times. So suffering, all that said, is inevitable as a Christian. But I want to be clear that it is not suffering in the context that the modern church has personalized and muddied it down to, right? Meaning, oh, you're always going to suffer with sin. You're always going to suffer with sickness. You're always going to suffer with mental strife, you know, which is not to say that those things may not come up, by the way. Um, but the point is, in scripture, the context of suffering is never about the sorts of things that make suffering about you or what you are going through. Suffering every time in the context of scripture continually shows us, New Testament specifically, that it is a guarantee simply because the servant is not above the master, right? We are not above what Christ went through here on earth. So we are therefore not exempt from tribulations and trials 
specifically within the framework of being hated for his namesake, like the word says, right? We suffer for him, not for ourselves. We suffer not for what we've been through or what we are going through, but because of what he went through. And so with that understanding, when we suffer, we can count it all as joy, like James says, because ultimately it is a test of our faith and God allows it to build our character in his image, not our own. He allows it so we learn how to crucify our flesh and really live alive unto him. And two of my favorite verses in support of this truth would be James 1 verses two to four. It says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces, produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing lacking nothing. I don't hear that preached in Sunday service. Romans 5 verses 3 to 6. And not only that, but we also glory. We glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Roman, I want to read that again because it's really so beautiful. Y'all really listen to this. We glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Like, that is, I'm like, just really awestruck by the Holy Spirit right now. Because think about what we do. This isn't even a part of my notes, but think about what we do in the church. What we do is the body of Christ. I hear my favorite preacher, Dan Moeller, say all the time, you know, you ask a Christian, how's it going? And the first thing they're going to do is complain about something in their lives and say, please keep me in your prayers. Pray for me, brother. Right. And it's so true. Right. Like how often are we complaining about things, uh, complaining about our circumstances? How often are we letting our circumstances define the word of God instead of letting the word of God define our circumstances like Romans five verses three through six? You know, we are to glory in tribulation. And then, like I already mentioned, that tribulation is not in the context of what we are going through, right? It's not about what we are going through. It's about what he went through already. For our sake. Can y'all hear me okay? Someone in the chat said the, the sound's not coming out right. And I kind of, and Mike, I see that on the mic here. It's not both of them. It's only one of them. Normally it's both of these that the sound is like coming all the way through. No, it's not fixed, but okay. Someone said, someone said they can, they can fix. 
Did I fix it? Does it sound good? <laughs> they just said it's fixed. Okay, well, good. Well, I hope there's nothing there I want to use a real of and the audio is messed up. <laughs> okay, great. Um, yeah, it's, some, it's something on the screen I, I, I noticed that I fixed. It's, you guys don't care about the technical stuff, but basically one of the cameras was, the audio on one of the cameras was on and was interfering with the microphone. Okay. Someone else is saying it's still only one speaker. Refresh your page if you're still having issues. I'm going to keep moving on. Um, my prayer with this series is that you would count it all as joy, that you would count all the warfare as joy, knowing that, again, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Okay, I pray that this would be of biblical encouragement. Um for you to truly abide in the spirit because when we actually walk it out right when we deny the flesh when we submit to god when we yield to the spirit when we embody the faith that makes us well luke 8:48 we live as though being saved isn't only something we're waiting on heaven to be but something we are already right here, right now. Okay. So that's what I pray um, will come of this series is that you live as you are saved now, not just waiting on heaven to be saved and that you count that warfare, the spiritual warfare, the reality that we will suffer for his namesake, not because of what we go through, but because of what he went through. And a servant is not above their master, that you would count those tribulations as joy and truly live alive unto him through the persecution, through the tribulation, through the trial, that you would rejoice because not by your own works, but because of the love that has been outpoured into your heart by the Holy Spirit that he has given us, okay? Because that war is definitely a lot more simple to fight when you live it out with the unshakable belief that it is true that the war has already been won, right? Because that's the thing, it has been. The devil is a defeated foe, he's done. That's why he's doing backflips and working so hard right now because he already knows his fate. He knows that he is finished because Jesus said it is finished. He is a defeated foe. So he's throwing an actual tantrum right now. He and his little demonic minions, they're throwing a tantrum because it's all they have left. And nothing ticks them off more than for you to walk in the freedom knowing that they are defeated, knowing that you are more than a conqueror in Christ Jesus, right? The devil can't defeat you because he has been defeated. So because the devil can't defeat you, his best method of defense is to discourage you from belief, okay? His only method of defense is to discourage you from belief. Because the thing is, if we walk in unshakable belief that the war has been won because Jesus won it on our behalf, that we are victors, we can walk in victory, his victory uh, on earth as it is 
in heaven. Okay. So talk about good news. It seems like people listening with headphones are having problems, Mike, but I don't know how to fix it. You do? Okay. Please hold. <laughs> Where are y'all listening from? Where are y'all watching from? I hope that was a good, um, what? Just, you're just the, the creepy hand emerging from the abyss. It seems like people that aren't listening with microphones are fine. But, um, yeah, this has never happened before. It's never happened before. This is just like a new thing that it's decided not to work today for no particular reason. Um, just don't worry about it, honestly. If it's just a headphone thing, then it's, there's nothing, it's whatever, right? Words? Words about things. Oh, it's fixed. Is it fixed? Microphone people. Or headphone people. <laughs> headphone people. Yeah, it's fixed. It, it's fixed. Okay. It's fixed. You might have to disconnect your headphones and plug yeah. them back in, but... Okay. All right. Now it should be good. It should be good now. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you for your patience as we continue to traverse the trials and tribulations of live streams. Okay, they're saying it's better now. All right, so I hope that intro um, was good for y'all, not distracted by the technical difficulties. Um, that being said, all that being said, over the next five weeks, I will dive into each topic that the Lord has been teaching on um, has been teaching me on, I should say, and just sort of refining me through over the recent months. Always for my good and his glory, because the word promises that he works all things for the good who those that love him, and he is faithful to complete the good work he starts in us. And so, yeah, I'm just praying that this series will bless you as much as the refinement and the wisdom that's come through this in just prayer and Bible study has really blessed me. And the part about this that's really the best part is that this is like no special anointing that I've been given that you haven't been. Like this is no hidden knowledge. It's not something that's like being revealed that the that the Lord has only revealed to me and now I'm here to give it to you. It's nothing like that. Like this is all literally in our Bibles. Yay. So, um yeah, that being said, the only thing that this series is going to demand of you is your faith, okay? Not your willpower, not your works, not your own strength, just your faith, which right away we're going to get accused of the word of faith movement, right? Um, whatever it's called, whatever it is, it's just um, mumbo jumbo, honestly. I, I hate all those terminologies all those little camps, all those criticisms, because this, this is not the word of faith. This is just the gospel. And it's a walk of faith lifestyle that we as believers, right? Think about what the word believer means. We are saved by grace through faith. So no, this isn't a word of faith. This is preaching that we are saved by grace through faith. And now we have the right to walk in that faith. Okay. So it's not the word of faith movement. It is the walk by faith lifestyle, because that's his promise to us. 
So that said, um, this, this series is obviously for a Christian audience. It's spiritual warfare for Christians. Um, and so, you know, regardless of how you may define yourself denomin denomination, denominal, denominationally, denominationally, or whatever, um, maybe secondary doctrinal differences we may have, please just try and approach this through um, humility and surrender because God resists the proud, right? It says that in James 4, 6, that God resists the proud, but he exalts the humble. So don't be listening to this to hear what you don't agree with so that you can be quick to respond or quick to call me false or quick to criticize or any of those things. But ask Holy Spirit if there's something you can actually gain from this, right? Like I said at the beginning, be slow to speak and just pray for ears to hear what Holy Spirit wants to reveal to you through this series. I'm going to take a drink of water if you'd like to do that now. <laughs> my husband with the camera angles. So like all other content that I put out there, um, don't let me be the only Bible you're reading, right? When this stream is over, take this to the secret place yourself, get into the word of God, because the only way for the word of God to get into you is for you to get into the word of God. And we neglect that a lot in the body of Christ. We get our theology from YouTube and I, with a YouTube platform, I'm really encouraging you to not do that, please. Um, I will actually have some homework for you at the end of this, so stick around until the end of the series, okay? Um, or the end of the first part of the series, whatever. I'm going to save the whole topic of Bible time for another preaching in this series because it is coming, so stay tuned. I want to specifically start tonight with repentance for a very important reason. And this particular series, like I, I told you already, the Lord's been teaching me, refining me for months, but he's put this five ways to combat spiritual warfare idea on my heart for weeks, weeks, weeks. I just keep pushing it off. Um, it's something I've met him in prayer about, asked Holy Spirit to highlight scriptures on and really refine me personally to share my testimony as I go and teach on this subject, because who knows that we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, right? Revelations 12, 11. So this was actually originally going to be one episode and I was going to give a few major points, um, to each of the five topics. But the more I meditated on this now series, the more God was showing me each of these topics are crucial to elaborate on their own. So lo and behold, the five-week series. And now we're like 20 minutes and I still haven't gotten to the point because I, I tend to do this as well. So I appreciate your grace and patience with me uh, through my tangents. Um, but yeah, I just think this is going to be much more, much more digestible this way for all of you. And I trust that the Lord is going to give you what you need from it. So why repentance? All right, we're finally getting into the meat. <laughs> um... It's simple, right? The scripture says, cast out the log in your own eye, right? Before you look at the speck in a brother's. And that's just true across the board, right? Cast out the log in your own eye. I feel like a lot of times in the body of Christ, we aren't quick to do that. We aren't quick to look in the mirror and say, what is there in my life? What log is it in my eye that actually needs to be cast out? Because I think a lot of us, including myself, are guilty of hearing the term spiritual warfare, and we automatically associate it to casting out demons instead of casting out the log in our eye, right? 
or we associate it to rebuking the devil, anointing our home, pleading the blood, uh, claiming our authority to trample serpents, declaring boldly the name of Jesus and so forth. Basically, when we hear spiritual warfare, it's always this image of this big David versus Goliath moment in our heads, right? Where we think we're being called to slain the demonic giant. And I see in the body of Christ, and again, I'm guilty of this too, had to repent for, that we are so quick to make everything about a demon. We're so quick to make everything about a demon or about what the devil is doing that we completely neglect any accountability for what it is we are doing. And look, I'm an advocate for deliverance. I have received deliverance. People in my life closest to me have received deliverance. Deliverance is biblical. I'm not negating any of that, but I also know that not everything is a demon issue. And the issue with deliverance is that a lot of the time people make an idol of it or they get so swept away in the hysteria of deliverance that they they pendulum swing over to this one side and then you lose everything else in the process that is just as equally important through the sanctification process so the truth is some things are a flesh issue which by the way is a belief issue and sometimes it's not that we need deliverance from a demon it's that we actually need deliverance from ourselves I'll say that again. Sometimes it's not that we need deliverance from a demon. It's that we actually need deliverance from ourselves. And I would encourage deliverance to be the last resort, the absolute last resort. Okay. Before we start binding and rebuking the devil, let's actually live in such a way where the flesh is crucified because we walk in the belief that Jesus did in die or did indeed die for our sin that we may live free of it right the scripture says we are no longer a slave to it so that's either true or it's not we ought to start living like it and guess what you get the best of both worlds there because if it is a spirit issue if it is a demon issue tied to whatever it is you're going through walking out repentance will inevitably result in deliverance from that spirit because of belief because you're coming out of agreement with with the sin um that manifested that power over you if the spirit's behind it or if it's the flesh it doesn't matter either way deliverance will result as or deliverance is a byproduct of the result of repentance so to that point, a few things we're going to explore under the whole umbrella of repentance within this topic of spiritual warfare is in fact, yeah, discerning between the flesh issues and the demon issues. Going to very quickly go there. Um, unbelief, we're going to spend a lot of time there. <laughs> Confession and baptism. Okay, so we're going to cover those four, those four um, aspects under this umbrella of repentance. So like I said at the beginning, my prayer with the first part of the series focused on repentance is that you would simply believe Jesus. I know it's like so heretical to say, right? That you would just believe Jesus and give him all the glory, not the devil and certainly not your feelings or your past. So what is repentance? Acts 20, 21 uses repentance and faith interchangeably because one cannot exist without the other. 
because they are actually a part of the same equation for both Jew and Gentile. So for everybody, right? God so loved the world. So that particular verse, it reads Acts 20, 21, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. It's like that handshake emoji, right? Repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. That's interchangeable. You cannot separate one without the other. So the grace we are saved by through faith means handshake and repentance, not because of works to be clear. Repentance in the context that I'm speaking of, what it says in the Bible is not works, it's heart. Because to have faith in Christ means to have faith in what he died for on that cross. You cannot dissociate the understanding of sin from the cross because that faith comes from truly having the revelation of that John 3.16 love that he had and has for you, right? That Jesus died to reconcile you back to God the Father by atoning for your sin, which is what separated you from him under the curse of Adam. That is to have repentance. And speaking in terms of the Greek, repent is a compound word formed from meta, which means amid or with, and noeo, that's spelled N-O-E-O, which means to exercise the mind. So the word literally means metanoio. I'm so bad at pronouncing things. Metanoio. It literally means accompanying by an exercise of mind or with understanding, right? It's a mind change. It's a heart change. It's a new way of thinking, which is right on par with how Jesus literally makes us a new creation. Second Corinthians 5, 17. And the Hebrew translation of the word repentance means to return back to something which you strayed from, which of course we know the gospel before the fall in the garden, we were made perfect in God's image with no separation from the father until sin happened, which is why Jesus is the necessary bridge of that reconciliation. And so both things are true in the Greek and in the Hebrew and biblical when you marry the two, right? It's, we are new creations. We are made new creations through Jesus Christ who reconciles us to our original purpose of unity and life with God, our creator, before the corruption of sin and death. And of course, this is all accompanied with the faith, the faith that what the Bible says is true. So faith and repentance are simultaneous facets of the same action. At the same time that I trust or that you trusted Christ to be your savior, I or you are abandoning the trust that was formerly placed in the belief that he was never needed to save me or you at all. See, so you're made new because of that repentance and faith. Acts 20, 21, repentance and faith, handshake. One and the same, interchangeable. So I'm getting that out of the way for the sake of clarity. And I pray it was clear because I don't want anyone to misinterpret this and say that I'm preaching works-based. 
not because I'm trying to save face, but because that's not the gospel. That's not due diligence of the true gospel. And I'm not, right? We are saved by grace through faith alone. Repentance means abandoning the mindset, abandoning the faith of anything that speaks contrary to that very truth. Okay? So with that, I just pray that you recognize that when I say repentance is a major component in spiritual warfare, it's just so clear to you, so absolute that I am not saying you need more discipline or more willpower or inner strength or devotion or anything you yourself can work for. None of it's by your own strength. It's not a works issue. It's a faith issue because it's faith and repentance. Okay. And what a relief, right? Because I'm not telling you to place your trust in anything that you could ever do to show God you have repented through your actions to prove to man or to him that you have been saved. I'm telling you to place your trust in God, that he has saved you. And now with that trust, you have that belief, that understanding, that mind change to know that you have the freedom to live like you're saved because he already proved that for the both of you on the cross. Okay, repentance is simply the outgrow of that faith. Amen. So now into more of those um, niche individual topics under the tier of repentance. <laughs> um, first of all, how do I know if it's a flesh thing or a demon thing? Because like I said, I'm not against deliverance. I know that things are demon issues, but I also know that things are flesh issues. But the good news is if we repent, you'll be delivered from the demons too. Be either way, it comes back to repentance, right? It comes back to faith. So... Yeah, if there is a spirit working to influence you in the physical, it's only there because you have come into agreement with it. And that's biblical. That's not my opinion. Because again, coming back to the contingency of faith in all things. The gospel is clear on faith. And faith is trust. Faith is belief. Faith is agreement, right? Subconscious or not. So start with the repentance and if the deliverance is necessary, the deliverance will be a natural byproduct of the repentance because to repent is to agree with the freedom Jesus died for you to have, right? Not just in an intellectual way that you just read in your Bible once and say, wow, that's great. But in a way where you actually walk in the faith. Now, a few ways to distinguish between the flesh versus the demonic would be as follows. And I'm going to keep this as short and simple as I can because it's not really the focus of this, right? But I do think it's important to highlight some things. So the flesh nags, the demonic overwhelms, okay? The flesh craves, the demonic aches. The flesh wants, the demonic needs. The flesh feels, the demonic speaks. The flesh tempts, the demonic obsesses. 
The flesh is impulsive. The demonic is compulsive. The flesh insists. The demonic persists. Okay, I'm going to quickly explain my deliverance from marijuana, right? I had just been baptized, which I'll get into later because I am going to share the importance of baptism in regard to repentance. I had just been baptized. I was really understanding what it means to be free in Christ. And yet I was not free of this. And it felt like so much more than just crucifying my flesh. It was something I literally felt out of control. There were voices in my head telling me to smoke. Voices in my head that told me to go pick the weed out of the trash can that I had just thrown away a couple hours prior because I genuinely didn't want to do it anymore. But that compulsion, that obsession, that overwhelm, that ache, that need kept me coming back to it. It wasn't until I was delivered from a spirit that I was finally able to crucify my flesh because you can't crucify a demon. I was delivered from that spirit that I had come into agreement with from all those years of marijuana use. Because if you don't know already, marijuana is a sin. Marijuana is, is it's, it's an open door to the supernatural. And I will eventually do some series or some episode on marijuana in the future. I've been meaning to, the Lord hasn't really released me to it yet. So anyway, I needed to be delivered from that spirit. Okay. So that, that's, that was my experience with it. And that was completely Jesus, right? I know a lot of people think deliverance is satanic. It's not really of God. Tell me what benefit the devil would have from making me come out of agreement with marijuana. What would the devil have to gain from me growing closer to holiness and to relationship with Christ? If he were the one responsible for me being free from marijuana, it's just the logic with people that are against deliverance. It, it grieves me. Although at the same token, I understand a bit of the criticism because like I said already, a lot of people do tend to pendulum swing when it's really just a flesh issue. Not everything is a demon issue. For me, the marijuana thing was, okay? Someone else very close to me, this isn't my testimony to tell, alcoholism, could not control it, could not control it. The voice would say, go get it. The voice would say, go get it against this person's better judgment got delivered. Even if the temptation comes up now, it's not like before. It's not controlling. It's not overwhelming. It might be a thought because the word says, you know, even describes the devil as the tempter, right? We see that Jesus was led to by the spirit to be tempted by the devil. So sometimes, yeah, it'll come outside of you. That voice or, or that old spirit will come outside of you and try, but because it's no longer in you and no longer has dominion over you because you've come out of agreement with it, you can cast it down. You can submit to God because the word says when you submit to God, the devil will flee, right? So I know there's a lot of debate in the church, especially right now over can a Christian have a demon or not. And I don't want to harp on that because it's unproductive and it's unfruitful dialogue. Um, but there is one thing I want to address in regard to it that I think is important for the topic of this stream at large. Okay. 
I have observed a theme that people who deny that a Christian can have a demon always use the finished work on the cross as reasoning as to why it, quote, couldn't be possible. And yet, these are the same folks who maintain the belief, once a sinner, always a sinner, despite the finished work on the cross. So you see that logical inconsistency, that faith inconsistency? A Christian can't have a demon, but they can, in fact, not only can, but they will struggle with sin for the rest of their lives, right? Because, air quotes, if you're listening, we are still in the flesh. We don't have our glorified bodies yet. That's the reasoning. So it's this belief that sin is not only excusable because of that, that we don't have our glorified bo heavenly bodies yet, but that it's actually to be expected that we're going to continue struggling with sin. Oh, but then the conversation of an unclean spirit comes up and there's no way a Christian can have that. Why? Because the body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. They will respond. So a body that the Holy Spirit dwells within the spirit of as his temple can sit there immersed in sin, watching porn. You can watch porn with Holy Spirit's eyes because your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. But a demon can't live in the flesh of that same person that could be influencing them to sin in spite of Holy Spirit. So somehow many in the church don't seem to comprehend that the flesh nature is just as dirty, just as unclean, and just as wicked as a demon. But we've accepted that it is possible for a born-again, spirit-filled believer to have one and impossible to have another. So the whole anti-deliverance Christian will the Christian movement will say, you're saying the finished work of Jesus isn't enough. To which I would say, ditto. If you maintain the doctrine that once a sinner, always a sinner. If you're telling me that we're just always going to struggle with sin, it's just a part of the Christian experience, that mindset, that faith, lends to you telling me that the finished work on the cross is not enough. So you see how both arguments can be used on both ends of the spectrum. But the thing is, ultimately, it's not one or the other because the same is actually true for both. And we do see it in scripture, by the way, because whether or not he's casting out a demon, healing the sick or forgiving sins, Jesus always puts the emphasis right back onto that person's faith. So yeah, a Christian can have a demon. A Christian can have, a, can have sin. A Christian can have the Holy Spirit and watch porn. A Christian can have whatever they want if you're in agreement with something because Jesus is the one that always puts the emphasis back on faith, right? If you're simply in agreement in consciousness or in subconsciousness with either one of those things, sin or an unclean spirit, you can have it. So either way, whether deliverance is what you need right now, either way you need to repent is what I'm getting back to. And that's why it's so critical to know that an important weapon in spiritual warfare is repentance. Because remember, faith and repentance are interchangeable terms. And we see that evidenced in Acts alone. 
So my point is, yeah, I believe in deliverance. 100% of experience that people closest have me have experienced it. And like the word says, Satan cannot cast out Satan. So if all those people, all those people have been delivered and been brought closer to Jesus, if that was really the devil, why, you know, people say deliverance ministries give glory to Satan, which is the opposite, if you ask me, because it's the anti-deliverance ministries saying, oh, that's Satan. They're giving glory to Satan by saying that this miracle happened by his hand. But Jesus himself says Satan can't cast out Satan. So anyway, my point is before we go binding, rebuking, and casting out, let's just first believe. And it doesn't matter whether whether or not you believe in deliverance or not. Like that, that's why I said at the beginning, whatever secondary doctrine we disagree on, please just be slow to speak and quick to listen in this case because ultimately what i'm getting at here is all of us no matter what secondary doctrine we believe our first degree doctrine you know let's not major on the minors right let's all just believe who has ultimate authority of our freedom and whether or not you agree with deliverance we can all agree that it's Jesus. And that's what makes us the body of Christ. Okay. So let's talk about unbelief next. Because it may surprise you, but that's actually the root cause of all sin. Right? The Bible says the wages of sin are death. And we all know that anyone who does not know Christ is a walking corpse because they are dead to sin. Due to a lack of faith in his lordship and grace that stems from the subconscious belief that sin isn't real. Like, we've all been there, right? But now on the flip side of that, if you as a born-again believer are walking in faith of his lordship and grace, and yet you now have a conscious belief that you're always a sinner... How are you any more free than the other guy? You may have the difference between heaven and hell, which, yeah, let's not downplay the significance of that. But why do we live as though being saved is only something that we get in heaven? Why do we not live and believe that we are saved now? So when I say you may have the difference between heaven and hell, with that other guy who is dead to his sin because of his lack of faith in Jesus Christ, because of his subconscious belief that sin isn't real. Whereas if you, with the faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and his grace, have a conscious belief that you're still just a sinner, what difference do you have here if you are walking and believing as if you are still bound to sin. We have to be willing to become what he gave on that cross. We have to be willing to become what he gave. You know, we hear spiritual warfare and it's always, I plead the blood of Jesus. How about you just Allow yourself to recognize that that blood has washed you clean. It's not something you have to plead. It's something that you have already been washed by. 
You just have to believe it, not plead it. Proverbs 27.3 tells us, track this with me, okay? For as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And Jesus tells us in Matthew 12 that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And then in Matthew 15 says, what comes out of a mouth defiles a man, not what he puts in it. So all three of those together, right? As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What comes out of a mouth defiles a man. It's saying, because you have to look at all of scripture as a whole, right? What you think, believe, or have faith in is who you are and what you walk out. And who you think you are and what you're walking out is what you're going to speak. And what you speak has the ability to actually make you unclean. And this, of course, because it all comes back to, again, faith is right on par with Jesus saying in Matthew 10, your faith has made you clean. Okay? It's all faith. So if you believe once a sinner, always a sinner, you're going to live like a sinner. And unfortunately, this message, this message by and large is preached in the American church. I can't speak for other countries, of course, but again, by and large preached in the American church, once a sinner, always a sinner. We have pastors saying, if you put a projector up to our heads to see our thoughts, you'd all be, we'd all be in trouble. And it gets a chuckle from the congregation, right? It, why are we preaching that from the pulpit? Why are we preaching from the pulpit? If you put a projector to my head, I'd be in trouble. When the word says, for as a man thinks, so he is. Okay, that's just telling, that's that pastor telling on himself. That's a heart issue. That's a faith issue. Because your mind has been washed clean by the blood of Jesus. That's not an opinion. That's the gospel. If you put a projector up to your thoughts, it should be glory, 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 glory. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Glory. Thank you, Lord. And if it's not, well, 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. But we have pastors preaching to the congregations, boasting in failure, boasting in failure, put a projector to my head, ha ha ha, rather than preaching a yield to his victory. Okay. We have pastors teaching congregations to boast in unbelief rather than to rejoice in what Romans 6.18 says, that we have been set free from sin. No, you don't put a projector to my head and see a bunch of sinful thoughts. I've been set free. And if, if something creeps in, you take it captive to Christ. You don't giggle about it and say, well, that's just the Christian experience. You always go to struggle. No, you've been set free from sin and become slaves to righteousness. The Bible says whatever we present our members to, right, is what we will be 
a slave to righteousness or unrighteousness. That includes our thoughts, our brains, our minds. So if you're a pastor or a leader or just a Christian telling me that, that you have, that if I put a projector to your head, you're in trouble. That's just telling me you haven't been set free or that you don't believe you've been set free. And I'm not saying that to condemn anybody in this chat or on this replay. I'm saying that to liberate you because you have been liberated. There is nothing on this planet. There is nothing in the universe. There is nothing in, 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 on heaven or on earth that is liberating except the cross. And if you have been saved by grace through faith, you have been given the liberty to walk in that freedom. And yet we have pastors saying you're always going to struggle. You're always going to have skeletons in your closet. No, Jesus buried those skeletons with your corpse in the grave. The word, the gospel says, Jesus cleaned out your closet. He didn't leave skeletons in there. And yet we have every, every one of these Christian pastors just going back to the grave to go play in where they've been resurrected from. Because you know why? It's this inverted sense of humility. It's inverted humility. And I can say that as someone who's been there. Right, because when I first got saved, like the first year of my walk, I had that same mindset, right? I know I've been saved by grace through faith alone, but the truth is I'm just always going to be broken. I'm always going to struggle. No, he, that's not what the gospel says. The gospel says he reconciled me back to the father. You think the father has broken parts? No. But I was living in a lie. The word says the truth shall make you free. But I was believing a lie because I was condemning myself for what I had done in the past. I had not forgiven myself. I or I had not understood really the I had not understood the 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 weight of his love at that point because all I could see through was the lens of what I had done. All I could see through was the lens of what I had been through rather than the lens of what he went through for me. So I was thinking to myself, well, I sinned against God. You know, I let all these people down the path of new age. And the truth is like, you know, yeah, he, he saved me, gave me heaven and eternal life and you know, all these things, but I'm just, I'm just still, I'm just still no good. I'm no good. I'm no good. And yeah, the Bible says that no one is good. No, not one, but what Bible also says is that we are made righteous by his mercy. And so if you're walking around saying, I'm just, I'm just not good. I'm just not good. I'm not, I'm always going to struggle. You are actually taking from watering down what he did on the cross. It's inverted humility to say, you're always going to be a sinner. And the thing with that is I've gotten in trouble from this before by just people on Instagram that are quick to respond and slow to listen. They don't take it to the prayer closet. They take it to the comment section right away, right? I, I, I've i gotten before that, oh, 
you saying that, that it's inverted humility, it's, it's, it, it's, it's wrong. It's not right. You're hurting my feelings. But the thing is like, all I'm saying is why don't we make ourselves wrong rather than making God wrong? Because the gospel says we are made righteous. That when he sees us, he sees us through the lens of his son now. We have been justified, right? That is grace. We are squeaky clean in the spirit. He, the word says he sees us as if we have never sinned. So by saying that it's inverted humility to say I'm always going to be a sinner, all I'm doing is making you wrong, making myself wrong instead of making him wrong because he says I'm spotless. He says I'm spotless now, right? So if you believe you're always going to struggle with sin, guess what you're going to do? You're always going to struggle with sin. If you think you're just, you're just going to be a broken little sinner, you're always going to be a broken little sinner because the word says what comes out of our mouths first produced in our hearts is what defiles us, right? That's what it says. Are you preaching sinless perfection? No, I'm preaching freedom. I want you to be free. Do you hear my heart? I want you to be free because he died to make you free. I want you to see yourself the way he sees you. The way I'm learning to see myself is how he sees me. It's no longer through the lens of my past. He buried that. He buried that. The Bible gives us plenty of verses, right? I'm not preaching sinless perfection because the Bible gives us plenty of verses what to do in the event that we do sin. But you know how that's always addressed? With the word if, not when, if. And we, the American church, has been have been teaching it as the when. That's the issue. That is the issue, right? It's not about sinless perfection. It's about treating sin as a when issue rather than an if issue. When you are now a saint, you're not a sinner. You're a saint. Oh, you're, you're just a saint and a sinner. Why are you making God wrong? Why are you making God schizophrenic? Then maybe just considering for one second that maybe your belief is a little double-minded. The Bible talks about double-mindedness. We're not to be double-minded. I'm a saint and I'm a sinner. That is double-minded, y'all. And I'm not trying to yell. I'm just passionate. He saved my life. And, and I've finally really had a revelation that it's not just, he didn't just give me heaven. Like he gave me new life. That's not a metaphor. He gave me new life. Like, like, it's amazing. He's the only one that can do that. He's the only one that can actually set you free. And that's a promise. That's not an opinion. That's a promise of his word. And so that's the issue in the church. We treat sin as a when instead of an if. And you know what it does? It produces bad fruit in the body of Christ. It produces a lukewarm body. If Jesus himself says, walk holy as I am holy, then he must have said it because it's possible. Not because 
You can make it possible by your own strength, but because he made it possible when he died on the cross for your freedom to break the chains of that sin and reconcile you to a perfectly holy God. Again, I want to clarify, this isn't about your works. This isn't about your works. This is about your heart. This is about your belief. You can't work your way to holiness. You can't earn grace. And you know, there's a thing with that. You can't separate grace from this equation. If that's what it's coming off as what I'm doing, by no means. We are saved by grace through faith. So yeah, the contingency here is faith because faith plus repentance is one and the same. But there's grace too. And you know what that inverted humility mindset does of I'm just a sinner, but oh, thank God for his grace. That 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 muddles down grace instead of accepting grace. Like, like it's a gift. It's a gift. Have you ever been given a present, like like a Christmas present, a new shirt or something, and then you don't open it or wear it for six months? Like, why are we not wearing grace? Why are we not opening the gift and wearing it right now? Why do we just keep saying, hmm, oh, I'm no good, but his grace is. Because again, like if you have that mindset that once a sinner, always a sinner, like a man thinks, so he is, so he produce out of his heart. That's what you're going to do. You're going to keep sinning and you're going to justify it with grace. And again, I'm speaking from experience because I believed I was always going to be a sinner. I believed I was, that's what my faith was contingent on the belief that I was a schizophrenic saint and sinner at the same time. No. Okay. So this, so my point is, this is about your belief. You can't work your way to holiness, but what you can do is believe him when he says that he has given us his Holy Spirit and thus empowered us to yield to his spirit. Okay. Titus 3, 5. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. It's making me so emotional when I read these verses, just like it did at the beginning. Because that is true. I say this with respect. I don't care how you feel. That's what the scripture says. Like that is the word of God. That is his love letter for humanity. So you can know that that verse is not just some scripture to hang in a picture frame on your wall, right? But that his mercy, his regeneration and his renewal is actually something you can walk in. It is a gift. It is a gift that you can open and have now. So no, y'all, no, it's not about sinless perfection. It's about knowing your identity. Your identity isn't, I'm always going to struggle, always going to have skeletons in my closet. If you could see my thoughts on a projector, I'd be in trouble. No, your identity is, I have been made a new creation by the sacrifice and blood by Jesus Christ alone. Thank you, Father, that you have forgiven me for my trespasses by the riches of your grace and cleansed me from all unrighteousness, like your word says and promises me that you have. Thank you, Father, that who I was as a sinner has been buried 
with you and I have been resurrected in new life as your saint through the spirit of adoption, given the right to be a child of God. Thank you that I am reckoned dead and alive unto you, Lord Jesus Christ. How can a dead person keep acting out the same things? You've been reckoned dead, made alive unto Lord Jesus Christ. That is your identity. That is your identity. And so instead of rebuking the devil, rebuking the demonic, y'all start rebuking that unbelief that you think and so you are. Proverbs, because they are lies. And those lies that you think, which you speak from your heart, are what defiles you. Not because you are just destined to be defiled because you're always going to be a sinner, even as a born-again creation, right? But because your faith is stronger in an identity as a sinner than it is in your identity of being cleansed of sin. And again, like, that's just making you wrong. Let's make ourselves wrong before we make God wrong before we make what the work on the cross means wrong, before we make Jesus' sacrifice wrong, let's just be willing to admit maybe we got it wrong. Maybe maybe Paul's not schizophrenic in Romans, but maybe my interpretation of it is, okay? Just consider. And look, you can repent for that right now. You can tell him you believe him, not your circumstances, not what your pastor says about skeletons in your closet or projectors on your thoughts. Him. You can believe him. His word. And when you actually believe that you are free from sin, see if you don't start to live differently. See if that faith doesn't actually make you whole. Like his word promises, like Jesus always says, whether it's casting out a demon, healing the sick, forgiving someone of sins. He says it's your faith. It's your faith that makes you whole. I can tell you the difference for me. When I am believing that I am new versus when I am believing the lie that my old man has still it still has dominion over my life and I'm going to get really vulnerable here for a minute because I want you all to know I want you to hear the testimony we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony the lie the lie that I am guilty of falling victim to in place of what is true which is that I am new and free. The lie is that uh, my mom's always going to trigger me. My mom's always, my mom and I will never get along. My mom's always this. My mom's always that. My, my mom's always going to get under my skin. I don't know how to have patience for her. I don't know how to, I don't know how to stay in the spirit when it comes to her. Those are lies. They're lies. But because I believe them, Guess what comes out of my mouth? What your heart believes. So comes out of your mouth and defiles you. So when I am believing a lie, instead of taking those lies captive to Christ, like the word says to do, because those are lofty arguments and opinions and imaginations over the truth, right? When I don't count myself a liar and count him as true, guess what happens? I fall into the, 
I'm always going to struggle thing. And that is a choice and it's produced from the fruit of unbelief. Because I'm not abiding in the vine. If I abide in the vine that is Jesus, I respond to my mom differently. I respond to her as the new creation, not the dead corpse that Jesus put in a grave. What business do I have to dig up the grave and, and use that corpse as a puppet when he has resurrected me in new life? <laughs> so when I remember in that moment, when I have that temptation come up in the flesh, like, just got to respond, no. Who are you, Angela? Who are you? Who are you? You're dead. How can a dead person be offended by what mom says? Either I'm alive unto Christ or I'm not. And he has patience with her. He has mercy for her. He has grace for her. And guess what the word says? That his spirit lives inside of me. So what excuse do I have? What excuse do I have other than what the American church, gummy bear church has fed me? And that's, you're always going to struggle. No, because his word promises me that the spirit in me is always willing where the flesh is weak. His grace is sufficient. Again, that's either true or it's not. And I'd rather make me wrong than make God wrong. So this is a major point of sanctification for me right now. But it's really not as hard as I'm making it out to be as I hear those words come out of my mouth. You know why? You know what me saying that? Is, is saying that this has to be hard. That me just living Christ has to be hard with my mom. It doesn't. It doesn't. See, right now I'm rebuking that unbelief in Jesus' name. Lord, I'm sorry. I don't mean to like have a public repentance right now, but wow, I just that hit me. Holy Spirit just like, ooh. Okay. Um Yeah, but I mean that's that's uh <laughs> Someone someone in the chat said maybe it's trauma. How can a dead person have trauma? Do you hear what I'm saying? He made me new. He made me new. So, um That also comes like with with our spouses, right? Like when when you're when your husband or your wife does something in your flesh that you want to respond to in your flesh, like, why are you not living Christ? Right. And I'm going to, I don't want to get too far down this rabbit hole on this particular topic because next week is all about forgiveness as another, um, component of spiritual warfare. Uh, so we'll get there later, but it's just something to start reflecting on now. Like, are you manifesting Christ in the way you react to people? Because if the answer is no, then your actions overall aren't manifesting Christ. So yeah, you're probably living in sin because you don't believe that you have the power by his Holy Spirit to do otherwise. You think you're just always going to be subject to the flesh. And so that's what's going to happen. So to that point, I want to mention the common contentions with this topic, right? The whole like, 
oh, like you can actually walk free. Well, what about Romans 7, 1 John and 1 Timothy? That argument. Um, so Romans 7 says, or Romans 7 rather, is where Paul says he does things he doesn't want to do in the flesh. And yet, when you read, when, when you read the chapter in context, surrounded by the rest of Romans, <laughs> and that's the important thing, right? Letting scripture interpret scripture rather than cherry picking verses. So when you read Romans 7 in context to the rest of Romans, especially right, right next to it, right around it, 6 and 8, he is speaking to those in Romans 7. He is speaking to those who render themselves living under the law. He's leveling with them as someone who was living under the law. He's speaking from their point of view because he was from their point of view, right? But in Romans 6, he literally says, how should we who died to sin live in it any longer? And to the question of if grace abounds, does that mean we should go on sinning? Paul says, of course not. And then after Romans 7 and Romans 8, he's talking all about walking in the spirit. So no, he's not schizophrenic. He's not saying in Romans 6, oh, we're completely dead to sin. We're no longer slaves to sin. We are slaves to righteousness to then saying in Romans 7, well, actually me, me, I'm still a slave uh, despite my best efforts to then saying BTW, this is how you walk in the spirit in Romans 8. Like, no, He's saying in context, Romans 6, we are made completely dead to sin, no longer slaves to sin, but slaves to righteousness by Christ alone, free from the law, to then in Romans 7, describing himself as someone, as someone who would be as if he were a slave to sin, bound by the law, because he was, because he was a Jew, like he's speaking from that place, because that's where he's coming from. And he knows where their faith lies. Like he knows them better than anyone. He is most eligible to be writing to them for this very reason because he understands their faith. And then he goes into Romans uh, 8 by saying, but guess what? That's not the way. Like that mindset's not the way. You're always going to suffer by your own works. That's what he's telling them. You're going to keep doing the things you hate because it's all by your own works. But when Jesus frees you by grace through faith, you then have the ability to walk free of sin in the spirit by his mercy, not by the righteousness you've been trying to achieve through the law that ultimately makes you sin more. That's the context of Romans 7. So when people use that as a, but what about argument, just read, y'all just read the scripture. This is why we are told to be like a workman and rightly divide the word of God because we can get into this dangerous territory of cherry picking things that make sense of our experience rather than interpreting scripture for itself and letting scripture define our experience. We get caught up in, in our experience defining scripture through the cherry picking instead of being like a workman and rightly dividing. And then of course, first John and myself and Nayla, if you haven't heard it already, <clears throat> have an episode out called Maintaining Deliverance and Rejecting Lukewarm Christianity, where we're talking about identity, essentially, just kind of like I am now, just identity, like, you know, who you are in Christ. So First John, this was the biggest backlash we got from that episode. First John, where he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, that verse, right? So we read, me and Nayla, when she was here a couple weeks ago, we read First John together, and it's like, again, you can't 
use that verse to justify what, what you're trying to say, like the argument that you're always going to be a sinner without cherry picking it because the entire chapter or yeah, the entire book of first John is all about walking free of sin. So in context, that verse, if we say we have no sin, we deceive our, we deceive ourselves in context. It's saying, if you're denying the blood of Jesus, denying the Lordship of Jesus. So a lack of repentance, right? Because again, faith and repentance, handshake one and one. That's like, for example, what comes to mind is, is me when I was a new ager, that, that was me. That was me. I, I said, I had no sin. I believed in Jesus. I thought he was my buddy, my guru, one of my ascendant masters gag me but i i was saying i had no sin i was deceiving myself i was you know around that chapter he starts by saying he's talking about walking in the light as he as god the father is in the light and he ends with saying he is telling the church this so that they may not sin like he's not schizophrenic paul's not schizophrenic right it, it's He's saying in that context, if you say you walk in light, but you walk in darkness, you actually have no light. He's talking to people who denied the blood, who have denied the blood. And he's saying this to the church so that they may not sin, not because they're always going to struggle with it. I'm reading a very different gospel than what Instagram says it says it reads. And then, of course, I don't want to spend too much time with this. It's just kind of like addressing the, the comments before they come sort of thing. First Timothy, where Paul mentions himself as the chief of sinners, which again, in context is a confession of his pre-conversion life. Again, he's leveling with the unsaved as a testament, as a testimony to the true saving grace and freedom, freedom in Christ Jesus. So now we'll move on. We went from difference between demons and flesh to unbelief took a lot of time there i apologize and we're already like an hour and some change in so please i pray that you are still with me here let me know if you're with me in the chat um let's talk about confession so we have all that stuff covered um what if what if we do sin because again the bible speaks to if not when not an expectancy but as the possibility of if, if we're not actually walking the way we're supposed to, then what? I don't want to beat a dead horse. You know, the church isn't teaching it the right way. But I, my point is I'm not trying to preach sinless perfection. I'm not saying like you, you slip up and then you're out of grace. No, I'm saying, don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm encouraging you to walk in the freedom he died for you to have dead to yourself and truly alive unto him. It's not works, it's a gift. So that remains true even if, 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 yes, you, you happen to sin. We are promised that if, again, if we sin, he is just to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So I want to mention that because I don't want you to fall into condemnation here. I don't want you to fall into condemnation or shame because we are promised that he is just to forgive us. Now, like Paul says, does that mean we go on sinning? By no means. But if, if 
He is just to forgive us and to cleanse us. So you don't have to go to him. And I mean, this is going to happen sometimes, pleading and crying and saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, please forgive me. You don't have to beg for his forgiveness. You just have to receive it in that moment. My point here is if you fall, just make sure you fall forward right into his arms. Don't fall back. Don't fall backwards. Because those thoughts might tempt you, right? Those lies, oh, I'm not good enough for God. He doesn't, oh, he's not going to like me anymore. Nope, those are lies. Take them captive immediately. Hold on to the promise that he is just to cleanse you of unrighteousness. Fall forward and remember there is no condemnation of those in Christ Jesus. So the thing with that is if your identity is truly rooted in being made righteous by his righteousness, it's very easy to recognize the lie that you're suddenly condemned if not when you sin, right? So if you fall, fall forward. If you stumble, stumble into his arms. You know what the enemy wants? The enemy wants you to just sit back and be like, oh, he's never going to forgive me. And the devil's like, you know what? You're right. He hates you now. Look what you did. Look what you did. You're no good. You're nothing. No, the word says otherwise. All you have to do is receive it. You see how it comes back to belief and identity? Ultimately, it all comes back to belief. You can't do anything to make up for your sin. You just have to receive the fact that he forgave you for it. Believe him. Believe him. Okay? And now also, I want to add here, James 5.16 clearly says, confess your sins. This is really important. Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. So there's another promise. If you confess, you're going to be healed. I don't see that this says you have to confess to a Catholic priest for the record. Confess to one another, the body of Christ, because... You know, God assures us that while our relationship with him is personal, it's not always private because we're a body. We are one body. He is the head. What we do in our personal lives affect our brothers or sisters in Christ. So can confess if, not when, if. He is just to forgive you. He will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Confess your sin to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. I, another testimony. Again, we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. I need some more chapstick. I'm sorry. This isn't like chapstick. It's like a lip oil. Um, so I had to confess, um... I had to confess something and I, I confessed it to a sister just like I just had to because that's what the word says. Like that's a command. And the devil wants you to keep that sin in the dark. He's like, no, don't confess. Don't confess. It's good enough just to pray. And I'm not saying, you know, the, the, the word says that Jesus Christ intercedes for us. I'm not saying don't go to God. Please, please don't clip that and put it somewhere. I'm saying that the devil doesn't want you to confess. He wants you to keep it in the dark. Why? Because the scripture right here says, 
If you confess to one another and you pray to one another, you'll be healed. You'll be healed. So this is more of just, this is more than just being cleansed. This is like being healed of that sin. So it doesn't have the power or you're not allowing it the power to torment your thoughts because if someone prays for you, when you confess it, you are healed, right? You're healed. And the other day we were on the phone and I, and I confessed and she prayed and I felt the devil flee. I felt the weight lift because the word promises when we submit to God, the devil will flee. I submitted to the word against what I wanted to do in that moment because that's what I had to do. I had to just obey him, even though I didn't want to because I didn't want to confess. And I'm not saying this is like a daily thing where you just sin and you're like, well, I'll just confess it late. No, I'm not saying that. Just because grace abounds, does that mean we should continue sinning? Of course not. This is, I'm speaking in the case of those ifs that the Bible talks about because the Bible talks about them. It's an if basis, not a when basis. I will say that until the, I'm blue in the face, which it kind of looks like I am right now. I look a little red. I get very warm. Being pregnant and talking very passionately makes me warm and sweaty. Um, Sorry for sharing that. The devil wants to keep you in sin he, or he wants to keep your sin in the dark. So if that happens, if you make sure you shine the light of Jesus right on it, because he is just to cleanse you. If you confess and have your brother or sister pray for you, you will be healed. Amen. And now we have, um, finally baptism. So I want to say that if you have not been baptized, you need to get baptized. Like there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You know, people are like, do I need to get baptized? Like, do I, uh, does it, does it save you? Does it, does it make, does, does it mean I'm not going, I'm not born again if I'm not baptized? Like, why are we arguing about it when God says to do it? Like it is a command. Stop arguing and just obey. You are asking for more of a struggle. You are asking for more, more warfare without baptism. And that's not to say like, it's just this seamless walk. There's no trials, no tribulations after you get baptized. That's not what I'm saying. But there is power in baptism. That's why there is so much paradoxical doctrine on it, right? Why there's so many denominations that fight over it, what it means, what it doesn't mean, why we fight about the salvation. I'm using air quotes if you're listening about it. But the thing is, if you look in the scriptures, it's so much more than just a symbol. Like we've been taught again in the American church, we've been taught in the American church that in the gummy bear church, that it's just a symbol. Like, show me one verse, show me the verse where it says, be baptized for your symbolic allegiance. Like, please show it to me and I will repent of what I'm saying right now. But I don't see that in my Bible. What I see in scripture is 1 Peter 3.21. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we get so caught up with that word saves or saved, right? The verse doesn't say baptism is what determines whether or not you go to heaven. 
But that's kind of like the biggest thing we fight about, right? Whether it's baptism or once saved, always saved, like works versus faith, like all these doctrines, it's all about heaven, 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 heaven. It's all about heaven, which just shows our heart posture, right? Like I said at the beginning, we speak and live as though being saved is something that's waiting for us on the other side of eternity when we can just be saved now, right? The word saved has more of a connotation on this life than it does in that life because the Greek word is sozo, which is literally the embodiment of all healing and all deliverance. Okay, so I wanna explain a little bit about baptism and I didn't have as much time as I wanted to to prepare for this portion. So, so we're just going with Holy Spirit, Lord help me. Um, baptism is more than a symbol. I was led to believe when I first got saved, baptism is just a symbol. You don't need to do it. It doesn't really save you, even though the scripture says, repent and be baptized to be saved. Again, doesn't mean heaven or hell. Saved is sozo. It's all healing and deliverance, right? So I I put it off for um I put it off for a long time. Like over a year from when I first received Christ, grace by faith, right? Um and in that time I had demons still. I had not received deliverance. I was lukewarm and I had the mindset, I'm just always a sinner. So those three things were all true pre my baptism. After I got baptized, um, my spiritual warfare actually increased a bit. However, I want to tell you why. I want to tell you why. First of all, like I said at the beginning of this, we are not guaranteed an easy life as a Christian. In fact, we are promised tribulation and trial. We're not exempt from that. We are promised it. But it's not in the muddled down context that the church gives that like it's mental strife and sickness and it's all these things that are about you, 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 you. It's in the context of you will be persecuted and hated for his namesake because the servant's not above a master. That's what scripture says, right? So yeah, the closer you get to Christ, the more you grow in your walk with the Lord, the, the scripture says that your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And that scripture is for the church. That was written for the church. Satan doesn't care about the world. He doesn't care about attacking the world. Do you know why? He already has the world. He already has the world. He wants you. He wants you. Because he's been defeated by he who lives in you. So he wants to discourage you. He wants to disarm you. He wants to detrail you. He wants to backslide you. He wants to tempt you. He wants to mock you. He wants to criticize you. He wants to torture you. I know this is all very encouraging. No, but but it is, it is actually. I'm making a joke, but it, it is encouragement. Because if you're not in a head-on collision with the devil, you're probably going in the same direction. And that's true for a lot of the world, right? So when you find yourself coming up against that resistance of him, 
that's a good thing because that's all Jesus came up against was the resistance, anything to destroy the plan of the cross. That's what Jesus went through. That was his trial. That was his tribulation. Anything to destroy the plan. Satan's mission has not changed in your life. He wants to destroy the work of the cross in you, but he can't defeat who has already defeated him and declared it is finished. Thank you, Jesus. So he likes to convince you that you are defeated, right? Now, I say all that because my warfare increased after I got baptized. My sin increased. I, there's a lot of different things about baptism here. Ba I wish when I had been baptized that the person that baptized me had prayed over me after. And that I had, you know, it says that when we are baptized, we receive Holy Spirit. That's what the word says. That's not my opinion. That's what the word says. Um, you know, like we're really, we're really sealed, right? And I wish someone had prayed that over me or that I really had any understanding of it at the time because then I would have known how to fight better. You see, that's the difference. Um, and I also had demons that needed to be cast out of me and they literally, like they were dormant. And when I got baptized, that water, like just woke them up and I needed deliverance. And if I had been prayed deliverance at the moment of my baptism, that would have been probably very, very beneficial. It would have probably avoided many, many things. Um, <laughs> so that being said, I think that's why a little bit of my warfare increased, but at the same time, God let me go through that because it was all part of my sanctification to learn about deliverance, to learn about authority. And that's the biggest thing with baptism is my spiritual father kind of, I don't know if I should call him father. It's kind of weird. Brother, his father, I don't know. He's, he has kids my age, so he could be, um, brother, my spiritual brother said that, um, he, he explained baptism through with this analogy that I liked a lot, you know, like you, you could be a cop, right? Like you're a cop and you went through all the training, you got, you got your badge, right? But then you're, say you're off duty. So you're just kind of walking around and this is all in the spirit, by the way. So you're just kind of walking around and you know, you have your gun, you're strapped, you're good to go, but no one else knows you're a cop. There's no, like, there's no authority there. Now, when you're baptized, it's like you're on duty. Like you're walking around with your uniform on, you have your badge, everyone can see it. And it's like all the demons can see it. You have your badge, right? So that's kind of how he explained it. A way that I like to explain baptism, because it says in Romans that baptism, like you're buried, you're buried in baptism. So you're made a new creation, grace by faith, right? However, what happens is you're walking around with a corpse on your back. Like you're just walking around with this corpse and it's heavy. And what happens to rotting flesh? It starts to smell, right? It gets hard. I mean, I don't know much about dead bodies, but it gets hard and it weighs you down and it smells. And it's just this weight that you just, it's not yours to carry, honestly, because Jesus died for that to go. So before you're baptized, you're just walking around as a new creation, carrying a corpse on your back for no reason. And when you get baptized, it's buried. Like that's what the word says. It's buried. You get buried. And so you literally rise up in, in that new life. 
Like you're already a new creation, but this is the rising in new life because you're no longer carrying a corpse on your back. And baptism is so important. I'll say it again. That's why there is so much um, argument over it in the church. That's why there's so much resistance to it in the body in Christ. You know, the enemy convinced me all these, for all these reasons that I didn't need to get baptized because, oh, it had to be in the springtime and then it had to be in a river so it could be aesthetic for Instagram. I'm just being honest. Um, I wanted to wear a certain this and I wanted certain people to be there. I wanted it filmed and photographed in a certain way. Like all these things that don't matter. It's like, I just need to get in the water and bury the corpse, right? But the enemy convinced me all these reasons. And maybe someone in the chat can relate to this. Like, are there reasons why, <laughs> you know, that, that you feel like God or the devil's telling you like, mm, not yet. You're not ready. It's not time. You can wait. It's fine. Like that is talk about warfare. That is warfare. The devil does not want you to get baptized. The devil is the only person that doesn't want you to get baptized. It's all throughout scripture. Get baptized, get baptized, get baptized. I'm not saying baptism is what gets you to heaven for the record. I'm not saying that, but scripture does make it clear that there's a connotation for being saved with baptism. And again, I'm not saying saved in the context of heaven. I'm saying saved in the context of sozo, which is the Greek word for saved, which is healing across the board. You step into a new level of authority in the spirit. We see it symbolically all throughout scripture, the importance of baptism from the creation of the earth, y'all, the creation, creation, the spirit hovering above the water. Water was the first thing. He started with water and the spirit hovered above the water. So what do you think happens when you come out of it? And then the Red Sea, right? Think about the Red Sea. God brought them through the water into the promised land. And what happened? He closed it in on their adversaries and drowned them out. Like that's literally what happened to me. Like all those demons I need deliverance from, they got drowned out. And he took me through the Red Sea into the promised land. And the flood, obviously the flood. He drowned out all the Nephilim. Demons. <laughs> He drowned out all the Nephilim, made a new covenant, the rainbow, new covenant. There's so much symbolism to baptism. Jesus himself was baptized. If you're not baptized yet, your, your savior was, and he tells you to be. So not being baptized is an act of rebellion. And back to the whole topic of repentance for this episode, you need to repent for that. Repent. Believe him when he says you'll be buried in that water. Go read some scripture about baptism. Look up some sermons on baptism. Specifically Dan Moeller, I'll say, because I don't really... There's not many preachers I trust these days because everyone's telling you you're a sinner. Um, yeah, just go get baptized. And no, a pastor doesn't have to do it. Uh, a priest doesn't have to do it. A, a spirit-filled believer has to do it. Okay. A spirit-filled believer. Have them pray over you after. And, um, yeah. Someone said, what do you think about getting baptized again? Because you thought it was just a symbol and that's what Christians do. I've been wrestling with getting baptized again. Honestly, I have been too because I didn't understand the full weight of it. I just knew I needed to. But my baptism particularly, because of all the stuff it led to after... I think it counts, quote unquote, because because of what 
entailed afterward because I think I had really repented, you know, repent and be baptized is the commandment, repent and be baptized. So if you truly haven't repented, if you truly haven't repented and you get baptized, then you're just like a sinner going into the water and a sinner coming out of the sinner. But if you have repentance and faith, like we keep saying throughout this whole episode, which are married together, then you got baptized, then you go into that water, a sinner, and you come up a saint. Um, pray about that. Like if that's something you're struggling with, like, should I be baptized again? Because maybe it, I didn't understand Pray about it and Holy Spirit will reveal to you if you need to be or not. Someone in my life, yeah, is getting baptized because there wasn't like the full comprehension there. It was just something to do, right? So, um, yeah, it's, it's just someone said once you fully surrender uh, and repent, get baptized. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. So, again, like we spend so much time arguing over baptism, arguing over all sorts of things like baptism saving and losing salvation and oh d can a christian have a demon when it's like just get baptized it's a commandment okay and again if you feel nervous it's the devil um because the thing is it's a burial and it, it it's it's more than a symbol that's a lie it's a legality in the spirit realm it's a legality in the spirit realm it literally drowns away Satan's rights to you as you enter into the promised land in this new covenant with Jesus Christ. Again, it's evidenced in the in the in the symbols all throughout the Old Testament. It's so beautiful how scripture just like interprets itself and how he reveals so much of the new covenant through the Old Testament. It's incredible. Okay. Well, um now you may have expected something different from this episode. This was really long. Thank you for bearing with me. Um, hang out for a little bit. I'm not, I'm not quite done, but I just want to say that you might've expected something different from this when you saw that spiritual warfare, warfare series, all about repentance. Like I was going to sit here and preach to you about how you're wrong for your sin, how you're disobeying God, how you need to get right with God, that you have to do better and give you like a step-by-step -step criteria. Um, and like what that looks like, what you have to do, yada, yada, yada. No, like I just wanted to share with you what is true because it's repentance and faith. Remember Acts 20, 21. I just want you to know that you can actually believe him because if you believe him, if you have the faith that you are free, scripture says free indeed. Like you're not just free, you are free indeed from sin. That repentance is just an outgrow of faith. So I wasn't sharing all of this with you because I want you to get into this sin consciousness. You know, I was friend, I worked with a Catholic boy who revealed to me that he was afraid. Everything he did was always a sin. Everything he was doing was always a sin and he was afraid of sinning. He was terrified. And I realized that he had a relationship with his fear of sin. He had no fear of God. He had a fear of sin. He had a relationship with his fear of sin than he did with intimacy to Christ. So I didn't want to share any of this to get you sin conscious because sin conscious is sin consciousness is how you get caught up in works. And that's not the message here because sin consciousness is works because it will make you feel condemned because then it's like you're grading your own score. Like, did I do this right? Did I do that right? And that's not the point. It's nothing for us to boast in. That's the point. 
It's nothing for us to boast in. It's to give him glory. You're not waking up trying not to sin. I can't sin today. No, you're waking up and putting on righteousness because you are his. It's belief. Let your life become a byproduct of what you believe and let what you believe be the entirety of his word and his promises. You are saved by grace through faith. So you believe in something he accomplished. That's what that means. And what he accomplished becomes your reality. So no, it's not, I'm always going to struggle with sin. I'm always a sinner. If you put a projector up to my head, my thoughts would get me in trouble. No, it's put on Christ. That's what Romans says. Put on Christ. So I pray that when you get off this live, I pray by the grace of God that you would know in your heart that Adam nature that you were born into is resting in a dead man, not in an alive person who has been made alive and born again by his spirit. And that's your identity. Not once a sinner, always a sinner. Once a sinner made a new creation by the spirit of adoption, given a right to be a child of God, that is your identity. That is what I want you to have faith in. That is what he wants you to have your faith in. That's why the contingency in every gospel is Jesus telling the people it is their faith that has made them well. Because it's faith and repentance interchangeably. It's the understanding. It's the revelation that he makes you new. And you can walk in that newness. He made you free. So your homework tonight is uh, to read Romans 6, 7, and 8. Write this down, everybody. Your homework is to read Romans 6, 7, and 8. I want you to read all that in context so you can divorce this mindset that Paul is, is, is saying like, oh, I just do things I don't want to do. I want you to see the context. You also have to read 1 Timothy. You also have to read 1 John. If all three are too much tonight, pick one and then finish the rest tomorrow. Um, but I'm serious. Like, I want you to read that and I want you to send me a message on Instagram. Can someone drop my Instagram in the chat? Send me a message on Instagram with a testimony of how Holy Spirit ministered to you because I would just love to hear it. That's for me. I just want to hear it. Um, if you, if you feel inclined to share, uh, because remember the word is described as a double-edged sword, right? So it doesn't just cut away without, it cuts away within and that's sanctification. Yeah. If someone in the chat could drop that Romans six, seven, eight, first John and first Timothy. I want all of this read in context. Um, but that's the process of sanctification. That is sanctification. Letting that double-edged sword that is the word of God cut away at you. Because sanctification is <clears throat> a lifelong process. We have every day for the rest of our lives to have him teach us how to look more like him before we have an actual eternity with him. And that's the thing, right? Like we don't, we don't have to wait for eternity though. Like we get eternity with him, but 
the word says, the promises, we can just put them on right now. <laughs> like being a Christian is so exciting. It's so exciting. It's the most exciting life that you could possibly have. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. All right. Um, I'm going to say a prayer to close out. This is where people drop out. Don't leave. Please receive the prayer. <laughs> receive the prayer. And then we're going to hang out in the chat for a little bit. Um, yeah. So let, let's just pray. Um, Father, I just thank you for your people. I thank you for their patient ears. And I pray that they have the ears to hear everything that was just said, Lord. May everything that came out of my mouth be be used for your glory and for the good of your people, for the edification of your people, Father. I pray that all unbelief would be repented for tonight. In fact, if you just want to just tell him right now, if you just want to confess to him that you repent for unbelief, you can just do that right now. And we'll just pray, we'll just pray against that, right? We'll just, we'll just thank him for what's true. Father, we thank you. We all come together in agreement. We come together in faith and we thank you that what your word says is true. Lord, we thank you that the word of God, that your word is what defines our experience, that our experience does not define the word, Father. And we repent for all unbelief we, if the, that, we, that we fell victim to this, this false humility. We repent for the false humility that we're always going to struggle when your word promises that your Holy Spirit has empowered us. Father, we thank you that your Holy Spirit lives inside of us, Father. We thank you for that privilege and for that gift. And we receive that gift we receive that gift. Father, I pray that every person under the sound of my voice right now on the live or on the replay, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would just descend upon them right now, that you would fill them with a fresh anointing. Your word says that we can continually ask to be filled. And so, Lord, I pray that you would fill them right now, Father, that they would tangibly feel your love, the comfort that it says your Holy Spirit is the comfort and the peace that surpasses all understanding. Lord, we thank you for that honor that you have made us your children by your spirit of adoption. It is a privilege. We do not take it lightly, Lord. And we promise, we promise to just to yield to you, Lord. And if we sin, Father, we, we know that you are faithful to forgive us. And so thank you that you see us as, as cleansed. Thank you that you see each of us as cleansed. Thank you that you have given us a right to walk in righteousness by your grace and your mercy and the regeneration of your Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you that my identity lies in you and who you say I am. I believe who you say I am, Father, and I thank you for it. I just pray protection over the minds of everyone listening right now. I pray that hearts would crack open to receive the truth. And that by receiving the truth, that they would be set free like your word promises. Father, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Heaven and Healing Podcast. I pray that you are blessed by it. Please do consider financially partnering with the ministry. Different ways to support the show are listed in the episode description, so be sure to check that out. If you were fed today, don't just dine and dash. <laughs> and be sure to share this episode with a friend or family member that you feel could use it. Post it to your Instagram story and tag me so that I can personally thank you for supporting Heaven and Healing. If you are interested 
in hearing or watching the Q&A live chat that happens at the end of every live stream, you'll have to subscribe to Heaven and Healing Podcast on YouTube to watch the rest of the stream where we do that live Q&A at the end. Thank you all so much again and God bless.